Hello and welcome to Nibbles Podcast. Today I have a special guest again. Uh, will you please introduce yourself? Hello, my name is uh, Johan. I go by the name of Shatterhands when I make music and DJ and do anything music related. Yeah, which is a lot, which we're gonna try to delve into here. Um, so uh, first of all, the name Shatterhands. Where does that? Uh, how did you come to that name? How did how did you arrive to having that? Was it the like old game? Was it the movie? Was it just? The scratching was it, what was it? Um, so when I when I started making beats or even before making beats, I started scratching and buying a lot of records to scratch and uh, without having a like a certain a certain name for what I was doing or calling to call myself. And uh, I came across this uh, kid's story called Vinitu. Um, what do you call it? Winnie Two. Uh, okay. uh, it's by this German writer called Karl May. That um, he wrote this uh, cowboys and Indians story, which is actually quite horrible. Um, but uh, the narrator in the story, uh, his name is Old Shatterhand, and um, the story the the story was in Danish. So we could, I could sample a lot from it, and also they were saying old Shatterhand a lot, uh, and having your name already on a record, so you could scratch in your own name was really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the way to go. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I thought it was dope, and um, I stuck to it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes really uh, good sense. Um, so since there's been. Didn't you also use the movie Shatterhand uh, in one of your records? Uh, or was that also from that? Um, uh, I've, I've, been using, I've been using uh, various sources. There's also uh, this uh, NES game called Shatterhand. Exactly. That's what I. My first thought would yeah. have been that the name came from. Yeah, but I, I actually I never I never played it because I didn't have a Nintendo growing up. Uh, I just came across. Uh, I think it was this uh, internet player. Uh, or you can play it online, and so I I ripped all like the entire uh, uh, soundtrack to it uh, and used a lot of it. Um, yeah, but that's a good way to to know. But um, let's, let's take it a bit back. You, um, you come as my previous guest from like a smaller Svendborg. Yeah, Svendborg. Uh, from a smaller harbor city, uh, like in the middle of uh, Fyn, which is in between the two, like. Peninsula and islands in yeah. in, in Denmark. Yeah. So, uh, how was it growing up there, and how did uh, did you start using music or playing music early? Was it like, or was it hip hop first and then music, and or not that hip hop? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I went to my my parents put me in the Rudolf Steiner school, Waldorf school. Oh yeah, yes, they're known for you have to play violin at an early age, right? Exactly. And stuff like that. So first of all, my mom, she's a piano teacher, um, and so pressure from the young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in Waldorf school, you're uh, playing uh, the recorder, uh, a flute, from first grade, at least in our school. And then in third grade, you have to play the violin. And in fifth grade, you have to choose any symphonic uh, instrument. 
and then you'll be playing that instrument for the rest of your time in school. Uh, and I played the viola uh, from fifth to twelfth grade. Um, so th- um, there was a lot of music going on. I was uh, playing a lot of music. I was playing in. Uh, like I was playing chamber music with my mother and my godfather in various churches and uh, we were also singing a lot in school um, every morning and we had choir and orchestra like classes and stuff every Wednesday and so a lot of music and um, that's when I like in eighth ninth grade was when I really started to get an idea for sort of developing a taste within music as well um, but I I wasn't really uh, into making or producing music uh, in school uh, but every uh, everything was sort of centered around music in school yeah yeah. Outside of school as well, it seems like at home at least. Um, I was listening to a lot of music. I always brought my Walkman, uh, my Discman later on, and my Mini Disc uh, Man uh, eventually uh, everywhere I went, and always had CDs and tapes in my bag. Uh, and I was always listening to music. Yeah, yeah, I, I know how it is. I think uh, most people that are into music uh, know what it, that's like, especially our age that you just had what you were bringing so you had to like really also think about what you were bringing yeah along plus i think eventually when there comes a point when you start to identify within a social context uh listening to the music that you listen to so um i became like a a hip-hop head or whatever or Yeah, I, I couldn't understand why other people in class, they weren't as dedicated to listening to music as I was, or like being as nerdy as I were. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. Uh, but you grew up in a town, I, I don't know how, I'm, I mostly know it from the hip-hop scene, mm-hmm. but it was sort of a big music scene, wasn't it, all in general in, in Sundborg? There was a very good music milieu in Svendborg. Uh, the hip-hop scene was big, still is, I guess. And also the punk scene, quite big. Um, we had a, we still have this uh, venue called um, Hardos. It was called Harmonin earlier on. And they had a lot, uh, I think they still have a lot of uh, uh, like um, studios and rehearsing spaces. Uh, and then obviously a venue and there would be like some great uh, bookings both nationally and international bookings yeah and I re- as I also talked to, to the previous guests about what we remember coming from Aarhus is how great the jams were you, yeah. uh, that you, you had like crazy jams yeah. for like no money yeah. and like crazy lineups with like five or six acts which were like pretty big underground names always like and like half of them were from Spinball yeah <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That, that, that that made sense so we were always like uh, the pro, you know back in those days there was a lot of jams all the time mm-hmm. so you always had to like prioritize yeah so you had like uh, the, the listings of jams and you, uh, you know 
what came first. So yeah, Swinvo was always like in the top. So you know, if you had like a smaller city having a jam, and then, or even if you if you had Uns or Swinvo, you would go to Swinvo, yeah. and uh, even <laughs> like Swinvo or Bo, yeah, probably go to Swinvo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes even if there was something in Aarhus, we would go to Swinvo because yeah. it, it was just crazy. Yeah. Also, for us being greeted there, I think. Yeah. It, it also seems that you were like sort of the, what do you call, uh, the, I don't know, friendship city of a lot of other urban cities, maybe. Yeah, could be, could be. I mean, um, it's basically the same thing in terms of skateboarding. Uh, Svenbo is a big skateboarding city as well, and we had a few competitions going on called Pulsesnack, and there'd always be people from Shetland and Yulan. Uh, Albo, Aarhus, Copenhagen, to did show up and it 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 would be the contest of the year. Also, it just it might also be coming from like a smaller area with a lot of like mainland coming in that you also didn't have much else maybe mm-hmm. going on. So you were so dedicated when something was going on yeah. compared to maybe yeah. some of the larger cities. I don't know. It, it, Could be. Uh, and also traveling elsewhere wasn't as easy, probably. Didn't you often have to go to Odense first? You would always have to go to either Odense or Nibor. Yeah, so you had to like go in between stops to go somewhere, and it wasn't like as easy going somewhere. So it, it makes sense. Um, but you were always into music. You were doing that. Mm-hmm. You were playing viola until the 12th grade. But uh, when did hip hop come into the picture? Um, I guess when um, I can't remember who introduced me. I think, well, there was this girl in my class, and her older brother. Uh, he introduced me to uh, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, um, Rage Against the Machine, stuff like that. Because before that, I was only listening to Danish, like. Uh, Quote, uh, mainstream rap, uh, I guess, Humledederne and Little uh, Chocolade. And then eventually I I would go to music shops in Svendborg a lot. Yeah, you had the Moby Disc already we, back then, right? We had Moby Disc, which was called something else. I can't remember before that. Oh, but yeah, but was the two brothers having uh, East Stairs back then, or was uh, it? I think it was the two brothers, uh, Anna Spitter from uh, P6. He used to work there. Um, it doesn't matter, but I was there a lot, and he they would always uh, tell you like, oh, if you like this, you should check out this, and blah blah blah. So eventually, I I was listening to. Um, like Drop Dead and Rebel Mania and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, I guess. So going into more of the Danish underground? Yeah. And then we had this uh, this one guy who was renting a room uh, at my where I was living with my parents. And his, I think it was his nephew, uh, is Lars Cole. Ah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Factor Posen. Yeah, the producer. producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legendary producer. Yeah. Who, uh, didn't do that much, but his beats were crazy. Yeah, so he gave me the CD single of uh, Vim. Yeah, which is also one of the most legendary. Yeah. 
And I was listening to that a lot, so a lot of Faktabosen, a lot of... Yeah, I guess underground hip-hop through whatever I could find in Svendborg. Uh, I would go to the library a lot as well um, and just look through the hip-hop selection and just spend hours upon hours listening to CDs at the library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess at around 95, 96, I would slowly dive into to hip-hop. But also I was listening to a lot of, like... Uh, rock music through people I was I was skating with listening to yeah I love the a lot what's a lot of the skaters there like the punk rock and... no that was more the Odin's crowd yeah. Odin's and Ringe crowd um, Svendborg was pretty much hip hop yeah same as always yeah, yeah. because was, I remember that difference between like also like the skaters from Svendborg uh, no 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 from Espia and yeah like southern Denmark they were like punk yeah 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 and then we were, Tight pain. we were a lot more like hip hop and jazz and yeah. you know stuff like that. Yeah. And we were like, you you know a lot of them also. Some it ended up being a lot of them making extremely baggy yeah, 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 and yeah, in all yeah. as well. Also, I remember some of the Swinball guys was also yeah um, hanging around with them. I, I remember a lot of them through through mass yeah. meeting. Sure, sure. So yeah, yeah. But then again, skateboarding had a huge impact music-wise on me from. Uh, watching skateboard videos. Yeah, they were basically mixtapes. Yeah, basically. And we would just uh, burn CDs and listen to the the soundtracks. So I would get uh, introduced to a lot of different music, not just hip-hop, but also like rock and shoegaze and jazz and whatever. The 411 videos and the Transworld videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, it was... Um some of them were uh, pure, but, but a lot of them were like mixing a lot of different genres, like in a mix, mismatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke to my friend uh, Rasmus from Svenbo, um, and he sent me recently this link to um, Mr. Dips did the soundtrack. I think it was, um, I can't remember what video it was. Uh, maybe it was Habitat. Yeah, oh, crazy, sense. crazy dope. Strictly breaks. I think he just. Uh, I think he um, didn't. He, I think he posted some of that in Instagram himself yeah. recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there is that history of uh, which I was found interesting between like the merge of hip hop and skate, like mm-hmm. uh, the streets of silent, the new documentary also going into that and how the East Coast scene, like we started up, how Lil John used to do the mixtape yeah. and all that stuff. So. I think there's always been that sort of connection mm. in certain cities in Denmark mm. as well. Like, you know, it, it's like when I, we could always uh, identify a lot with Svendborg probably also because we had Sangnanegel where it was hip hop, skate and yeah. basketball. Yeah. And when I came to Svendborg, it was also like, we're always playing basketball and yeah. people were always skating and yeah. people were wearing sort of the same clothes yeah. and, you know, people knew like Kim Stair and Manuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they even had some skaters coming to always from there, and True. you know, so it makes sense that the whole like uh, two cultures unite. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But did you skate? Yeah, yeah. I was skating a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So you, you you sort of learned around about hip hop and started listening to the like Danish underground scene in the mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah, and then. Simultaneously, I was getting introduced to. Uh, I heard this one track in the radio by Portishead, 
and I was just like mind blown and I wanted to learn everything about this new music phenomenon called trip hop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anything that had like hard drums and a female was really yeah. slow. <laughs> yeah, really slow. Um, I would, I, I would sort of like go and 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 dig that up, uh, and eventually, I got introduced to uh, DJ Shadows introducing album, and I was like living off of that album for years and years. That makes and sense because the, also that is just. A way to discover music. As yeah. Well. yeah, 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 crazy, crazy, crazy. To me, at least, um, via Shadow, and then finding out that whatever Mowax was presenting or Ninja Tune, uh, so that whole like the 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 UK sort of like acid jazz trip hop scene, I was really into that. Um, And then eventually turntablism. So listening to a lot of the uh, Q-Bird, a lot of the uh, DJ Crush, Kid Koala, um, all the the scratch pickles and executioner stuff. And but that also makes sense because a lot of the Mobike stuff was also based on turntablism. Yeah. Like DJ Shadow is also yeah. It, it, it's not it, it, it's not a typical. You know, we produce music. It's the way that the DJ would put things together because it's the the way you would mix it if yeah. you were doing it with Rickless. Yeah. And from listening to this instrumental sample-based hip hop, I realized that these guys were recontextualizing other people's music, and eventually, like finding out that ah, he must have used maybe like 20 different records to to make this these two tracks or whatever and yeah. then uh and trying to find all of them exactly back then when it was it more became impossible. A, it became a quest <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i remember <laughs> and then watching uh, the scratch documentary really 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 got me yeah if you don't know the scratch documentary watch it it's probably the best documentary ever made about one of the best music documentaries ever but I fought the best one about mm. both record collecting and turntablism mm. and actually also producing, even though yeah. there are a lot of other good ones about beat making. Yeah. And I was, I guess I was kind of like in, I, I'm, a, I'm an only child and I lived uh, in Svendborg, even actually way more south than Svendborg on Tosinge. And I went to school in Odense, so I didn't have a lot of friends where I was living. And I was kind of like a, a loner kid. And, and uh, how old were you at that point? Yeah, f- from when I was born and until we, uh, I, I, I finished school, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. So all this, uh, I mean, listening to this uh, sort of like blue kind of stuff, like Shadow and Portishead and like this uh, shoegaze. The, the sort of depra- depressed depressing. Music. <laughs> yeah, 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 but that's, that's, that's what I like, so I, I relate. Yeah, 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 that really spoke to me. Yeah. And then eventually, um, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, Madlib, Doom, Dilla, and he uh, said, uh, yeah, go check out Stone Throw, whatever these guys are doing. And 
what year are we talking here? Uh, I guess we're talking 2004, five. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's just because it's it's always interesting when people say they start with Sonthro and what it, time they do. Yeah, yeah. It's been one of the labels that's been like evolving. Definitely. At different stages. To different the things. So, so trip up from like 10th, maybe 9th, 10th grade all up until about 2004, five, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but also a lot of rock music, like Deftones, uh, oh, sort of System like, of a Down. Okay, also that, that way. Okay, yeah, okay. Like a lot of... Different ways of... A lot of different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that different people introduced me to. Um, but eventually... Listening to Mad Lips, uh, Shades of Blue, and then uh, getting like uh, like the uh, getting introduced to Mad Lip uh, also via the Quasimodo stuff and uh, introduced to Doom via the King Ghidorah stuff was sort of like the odd way around, um, but it was it was it was great to me, and when. Uh, when my friend, he was like, yo, check out Stone Throw. Uh, I did, and that's when they were releasing anything but hip-hop. <laughs> exactly, like, that, was, that was why I was asking him yeah, around one year. Uh, yeah, and I, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This isn't, <laughs> this is definitely not hip-hop. Um, it was it was good music though, but it, it just wasn't like what he had sort of... Uh, yeah, it wasn't your expectations. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, yeah, but that makes sense because it's always that thing with that because something isn't hip-hop doesn't mean it's not good music, it's just that it's something else. Uh, so it's more of a genre discussion. Uh, but also that your inspirations, uh, you know, seem to have come from, you know, both hip-hop and trip-hop and the things that they seem to inspire coming from that. Yeah. And then you learned other music through the samples. Yeah, exactly. So I, I never grew up on like Pete Rock or uh, Premier or like classic hip hop. That's yeah, that came way later when I started sort of like backtracking history and learning about the Giants. Yeah, yeah but but you, you mentioned that. Uh, the Shades of Blue album was one of the things that really caught your attention. Yeah. And really, uh, did, were you into jazz before that? Had you studied jazz? Uh, or was it like you heard that and then you were like discovering a whole new thing? So I, I never studied jazz, but uh, up until recently. Um, but um, my mom and my dad had a lot of jazz records. Uh, and they would go to a lot of jazz concerts and they would bring me um and i like i like and i love jazz which type of jazz was that mostly was it free jazz was it more like the swing was, jazz or so my, my dad's jazz was like anything sort of like oscar peterson ben webster kind of stuff from the late 50s and my mother's stuff was more like the fusion 70s stuff or yeah like uh maybe like even like uh with a hint of prog rock and psychedelic stuff, but uh, some Boogie Yamas, uh, Iron Office, uh, 
type stuff. Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah, okay, yeah, so... Yeah, the, 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 the spacey stuff. Right? Yeah, also uh, Pink Floyd and... Yeah, well, we were also at some point really inspired by the sure. fusion and, sure. and psychedelic jazz, mm. so... Makes sense. Yeah. Even, even the psychedelic rock and psychedelic jazz and psychedelic funk had like the merge. Yeah, definitely. So, so that that makes sense. Uh, so, you, so you sort of had that in your upbringing. Yeah. And then, but then when you heard the Shades of Blue, was that like, oh, this is now being used in a totally different way, or what was the feeling that you had about it? It it sounded very uh, familiar, and uh, I guess, yes, yeah, I mean, Madlib stuff to me was. Uh, a lot similar to uh, all the trip hop stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, and all the Madlib stuff I was listening to was all his instrumental stuff. Anyway, uh, it was only later on that I realized that he had <laughs> made a lot of beats for a lot of different rappers as well. Yeah, like, a lot of it also way before it. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's always interesting with that type of stuff because you also seem to have come into it at around the time when you know instrumental hip hop was starting to take off. Yes, the you know you, you had an era of classic hip hop where a lot of stuff was also put out as instrumental, but it was always the beat that they were rubbing over mostly. Yeah, it was just the instrumental version, so it didn't have any other regression, and it was always open for the rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came with the 12 inch. Yeah, yeah, and, but also, yeah, but they were they were also released like KDF or mm. you know Premiere or wherever like like these ten beats on like some bootleg yeah twelve inch or something. Mm. But it was more that all the beats were mostly just still the ones that were made for rappers. Yeah, but the build up, classic build up, yeah. and like the room that you need for having rap because the difference is also a lot of the beats that came with the like early 2000s piecing yeah. you can't really rap over them two two uh, it, 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 it would be confusing <laughs> also sonically it, yeah. it, it doesn't have the no, no, there's necessary no, room exactly there's no room for it yeah which is uh, it's also also interesting with hip hop because what I always loved about hip hop is that there was the room in the beats when it was like with rap mm. But it's also a, so it's a completely different thing when you have it put together. But it also is more reminiscent of a lot of the music that they actually were sampling too, which was a lot of instrumental hip hop and a lot of what they were sampling, even when it was from people who were singing, was like the longer instrumental part. Yeah. Or removing the whack part, or <laughs> you know, with the singer and then true. Uh, so 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 it, it's sort of like doing a 360. Yeah. Back to just like the, the roots in some way. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, at what point did you start producing then, or or like thinking about doing music yourself? Um, it, I think it was about two thousand and five, six, maybe, when I acquired a turntable and a mixer and started just scratching a lot. Um, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a laptop or anything, but then eventually I got my mom's old uh, iMac, 
the old one with the uh, big uh, orange one. Yeah, 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 I remember that one. And that one had a like a mini jack uh, input, and um, then I got a version of Logic Express, and because I would go to my friend's studio in Odense, my friend Seth. Um, he would hang out at this studio where uh, Timo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Timo Bakut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would he would lounge a lot called TSA Studios. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, to people that don't know a really amazing yeah, funk singer, yeah. producer, the best hot He's he does modern funk in a way that few people do. So I would I would come I would come to this studio and I would bring records that I knew had sample worthy material and I would sit down and look over the shoulder of my friend Seth and he would sort of like try and chop samples the way I wanted him to chop them and I would get really frustrated with him not realizing what I was talking about and me being uh, not able to express myself in English uh, or in these at terms that were needed like the, all the technical terms uh, and eventually I was just like fuck it just give me Give me the program, I'll do it myself. Yeah, so 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 you you had to bring the samples, learn that you couldn't, they didn't know what you wanted to do, yeah. and then you had to learn yourself. Yeah, and this was in I think about 2007. I was up and running. So using Logic uh, Express and yeah, like plugging your turntable into the yeah. old iMac. Yeah, without knowing how to maneuver uh, Logic or anything, and. In the beginning, it was just a lot of cut and paste, uh, and then calling my friend and asking him, "Hey, how do you, <laughs> how do you do this and how do you do that and how do you copy a track or how do you bounce, whatever?" So a lot of pulling my hair. Yeah. Also, logic isn't actually no, it's not that logical. It's just the most like oxymoronic name ever. Yeah. 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 Um, but um, yeah, at about 2007, this was when uh, I think Fafalion he was he moved back to Swinburne from was it Aarhus or Copenhagen he was living in? Uh, I can't remember. He was in Aarhus a lot with the hanging out with the both the uh, Hel Morgan guys, the, our crew like Dean, and also like there was a whole Swinburne crew living. Yeah, in in Aarhus yeah. that we used to hang out a lot, with, yeah. like in the in that crib with Mighty One and Giles yeah. and those guys. Yeah. So I I, I actually don't know if uh, I think it was about that if he was living there, Ian, or if he was just uh, being there a lot. Mm. But he helped me out a lot with um, like technical stuff, as well as uh, DJ Morton and uh, my friend Rene. Um, they were also making beats. And they helped me out a lot as well. So shout out to these guys. Um, the name, what, uh, what did he go by? His producer name is uh, IR Beats, I think. Or maybe just IR. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nice. So you, you had some people like showing you the, the ropes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also, at that point, Cuff Line was like actually pretty accomplished in Danish hip-hop. Definitely. And, and Definitely. it was like extremely technical. Yeah, yeah, Both yeah. him and his brother, yeah. Boogie, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. 
So I learned a lot from these guys in terms of uh, just maneuvering a DAW and also just uh, like the technical terms um, and using plugins. Yeah, and at that point you, as you talked about, you also started like buying records and had a turntable yeah. and a mixer and was scratching a lot. Mm. Uh, did you keep on doing that as well or was it like more focused on producing at that point? No, I was scratching a lot and I was making a lot of uh, like wannabe uh, turntablism kind of music like Kid Coela or uh, Q-Bird or Crazy and Clever or like all these like scratch mixtapes where I would scratch every element uh, within the track, like scratching the hi-hat or the kick or whatever. Um, So scratching was quite essential within a lot of my music. Um, Actually, up until a point, I think in 2010, when I went to this boarding school um, to basically learn music production. Yeah. I but that's also uh, a funny thing because I remember when I didn't really know that much about you at all that uh, you know Lax like Laximit he at one point like was like oh one of the best scratchers I know is like Shatterhands and uh, like he was also knowing Swap and FMP and those sure. guys so we're like oh damn <laughs> really we need to check that out <laughs> because you weren't uh, you weren't playing as much as no, today no. so we didn't really get to see you that much the thing is like I didn't really have any other people in Svinborg besides the guys that I was we made this crew called Secondhand Smoke and it was me and uh, Roger Beattaker and uh, a short time later he was called Rip he it was called Rip Claw at that time. Yeah, yeah, and he's still living in Svendborg now. He lives in Svendborg still, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. I remember he also did the stuff with Chris Yo and Yeah, the... exactly. So we were scratching a lot uh, also with Pfeffer Lion, but um, we didn't really have any other. So we didn't have any... But that's also probably at that time the other DJs had moved from Svendborg, right? Yeah, so Miraculous... And Mighty One and all yeah. those guys. Yeah. Because even like... Jay Spliff was also DJ yeah, he was. scratching so it was like you were actually known for the DJs as well yeah, uh, true. in Svindball true but but they had all moved away more or less at that point so we didn't really have anybody telling us like uh, these are the tricks this is how you should practice this trick is called this and that and this is how you do it it was just learning by listening basically uh, and then eventually checking out like YouTube videos and maybe going to Copenhagen somebody showing us what a chirp was or like a, a boomerang scratch or whatever and then coming back and then revolutionizing like me and Jonathan and, and David uh, yeah, be, being the bedroom DJs yeah, that, that, that were like stuck uh, plus I only had one turntable so yeah you couldn't do the mix we didn't do any like juggles or anything other than that it was just pure scratching yeah but uh we're gonna come back to that a bit later because it, you know, it seems that you don't do it as much anymore. But um, I think the more interesting thing from here is like you, you were focused on on a bit of record digging. You were focused yeah. on finding samples, scratching, yeah. and on producing. You you 
started doing in Logic, but from there until your first release, there's still a lot of years. Yeah. So you're saying uh, you, you were doing that until around 2010, and then you went to boarding school, like yeah. uh, to like study music production, yeah. or. So there's this uh, boarding school, high school in uh, Vejle, uh, called Engelsholm, uh, where I, I enrolled for one semester. Uh, and that was strictly electronic music production. Um, and that's when I really uh, learned how to actually use <laughs> a digital audio workstation and uh, use plugins, compression, EQ, like EQing and... Yeah, learning the whole basics. Uh, sonically, sonically. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, I loved it so much that I did another semester. So I was at the school for for a year and just immersed myself in, in music production and learning as much as possible. So uh, you knew from that point on that was what you wanted to focus on? Yeah. Or? Yeah. yeah, basically. And at the same time, I was uh, fresh out uh, from my... My education in Svendborg, which is uh, a shipwright, uh, a ship's carpenter. Uh, and I was like, fuck, fuck this shit. <laughs> I'm going to go and make make some music now. Yeah, but how do you manage to do that? Because now you now you learned some stuff. But being able to do that in a way that you can focus on that and mm. not have to do that much else that takes away from it. Mm. That that's a, that must have been quite a challenge at that point. What being at the school? No, no. After the school, then when you're at the school, at least you're studying. You sure you do that. You know that you can focus on the music. Mm-hmm. But after that, you have you have to work. You have to do something. You yeah, have yeah. To, to to it's hard to put all your focus in that. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I went to Oman after school uh, for three months to work, like strictly work, uh, to save up money to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then eventually I moved to Copenhagen, coming back from from Oman. And then I made my first release for Soundscape. Yeah, yeah, with Anton from Palm Shore and Anton, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which was like, what was it, three or four tracks, right? Three tracks, four tracks, a bonus track as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And that was 2011, right? That was 2011, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should uh, listen to one of the tracks just to set the. That thing. would be amazing. Yeah, let, let us put yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. and then just so people can get a sense of sure. your whole uh, journey. Sure.
So that was one of the old tracks. Uh, people can find it on Bandcamp, I think, still. Yeah. Still. Um, but that was a strictly digital one, right? Yeah. That was just a, a digital Bandcamp release. Um, Your first uh, physical was like the year later uh, from, was that that American label, right? The 404 session thing? Um, so I'm uncertain. I think the 404 sessions came first and then... Yeah, that's how I remember it. And then the Urban Waves later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the Urban Waves was like the end of the year. Yeah, and yeah. But how did you, uh, because Soundscape, you had moved to Copenhagen, yeah. and I'm guessing you got to learn, did, did you know Anton and Sean before you moved to Copenhagen? Uh, so I was listening to Anton's radio, uh, radio programs. Uh, yeah, they were legendary, the, yeah. those guys. Yeah, those guys. Um, the, the first actual podcasters have been that type of music. Yeah. So Copenhagen's Most Blunted and also Anton's uh, The Funk Files show. And uh, he encouraged people to send him stuff. And so I sent him some of my very earliest beats ever. And he was kind enough to play some of it. Um, but I didn't know him. And then I met him at uh, the Madlib and J-Rock show in Korsgadehallen back in... 10? 10, I yeah. think, yeah. I remember I went to it. Actually, uh, because J Rock is probably my favorite DJ of all time. Yeah, that's he's the one who inspired how I DJ. Yeah, um, you know there was other influences like growing up. But you know, I was lucky enough to grow up to see people like Static and those guys a lot. But um, he he was like the, he's coming. I have to go here to see it. Also, the, there was also the Mad Lib. There was the Red Bull uh, Music Academy thing. And there was the, the Madlib talk uh, with Egon as well. Yeah, I missed that, I think. Uh, that was actually good, but uh, the Madlib show was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, that was bad. That was really bad. The speaker blew and they uh, turned the light on. And I probably left before that yeah. because he did, I just saw him go on and then you had J-Rock do the craziest yeah. mix. Yeah. More or less I've ever seen. Yeah. Like so creative and blending so many different yeah. stuff and genres in a way that more or less only he was able to do. Yeah. And then you have Madlib going on to just play his own stuff and being mad that it didn't sound the way that it does in his studio because he had actually just himself turned the EQ some weird way and yeah. also pitched it himself Yeah, because he was probably too high to do and that's, then I just left. Yeah. And that was like one of the, that's the don't see idols play live <laughs> type of stuff. Um, so I, I didn't really know Anton and I knew about Sean. I had seen him at various James and Swinball. Yeah, because he also he would be toastmasting, toast, like yeah. toasting. Uh, yeah, yeah, hosting and also judging some of the freestyle uh, battles. Yeah, and also being with Napion. Exactly. Exactly. So I I clearly remembered Sean, and then eventually Sean would make do some radio shows with Anton, and they ended up making Soundscape, and we ended up presenting a Soundscape showcase at this uh, festival at uh, the boarding school, and that's when everything sort of clicked. Uh, Sean and Anton they came with Napion, Avalma, 
Victor and I think it was V-Buck, the first Soundscape release. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, after moving to Copenhagen, yeah, they became good friends of mine. And also, yeah, also you. I don't know how many people you knew in Copenhagen before you moved. Did you know that many people here? Um, just friends of mine from Fyn that had already moved to Copenhagen. I I didn't really know any people living over here. So I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the music scene or like the movers and shakers or people. So that might have been pretty fantastic having someone to sort of Def- plug you into that. In Definitely. And from listening to Anton's and Sean's show, I was sort of familiar with the names on the scene, uh, like the other people doing stuff, beats like Elog, Ufe, Victor. Um, the veteran Cosmic Rocker boys and yeah, strictly named that Anton and Sean, they were introducing whatever listeners they had to. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. And, and now we're all, we already talking also like way beyond hip hop, a lot of like more electronic genres. Definitely. I mean, but we're talking uh, this uh, scene, if if I may call it that. Uh, like the the beat scene or whatever LA type beats, um, but also there was obviously a lot of European producers and beat makers uh, that were instrumental in the type LA uh, beat scene kind of stuff. Yeah, and also uh, Anson and Sean and those guys were booking some of them. Exactly. So come and play. So yeah. They were instrumental in in making it happen in in Copenhagen and facilitating a platform and a scene for uh, all us up and coming producers, uh, warming up for all these uh, people from from the states and across Europe. Yeah, I guess also just meeting them and getting yeah, exactly. was also instrumental yeah, in, in in developing your yeah. sound. I, I, I've said it before and I, I'm going to say it again. I can't thank Anton and Sean enough for not just helping me and putting me on the map, but also like a lot of the other people making this kind of music. Uh, and they still do. Yeah, so thank you, Sean and Anton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with both their uh, poking and uh, Anton now having Palm Spree, the, the yeah. record store, or having had that for like 10 yeah. years now. Yeah. Um, but um, you, you moved to Copenhagen. You started actually also playing live and figuring out how did you play live? Because you bought a 404 at like was there was like end of 2011, but didn't start using it. I remember until like 2012, right? I bought the SP and then I brought it to Oman. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't really get to use it there, did you? No, 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 not at all. It was just strictly working, but it was. It was good fun, and uh, so the, the the 404 sessions, the release, actually came about when I wanted to really learn how to use the machine. I just started making beats and wanted to make a beat a day uh, in order to fully learn it. And then, but yeah, that was about 2011, still making music in Logic. 
uh, and then using the SP to play all the beats from. Also, you can do it live and like have effects or as, like as live as it can be. Like yeah, yeah, yeah I know pressing buttons. But <laughs> from watching all these, especially the LA people using the SP when they were playing like DBRC, John Wayne, Same I Am. So that, that's how that's how you even discovered the, <laughs> the SP. That was uh, doing that. That was from listening to these guys and also uh, from watching like various performances. I think this was about when Boiler Room sort of came up as well. And so they had a lot of uh, sessions with Mind Design, Same I Am, DiBiase. Yeah, and also Red Bull Music Academy had yeah. a lot of sessions, bro. Like live, set, they had like three things. They had the podcast stuff yeah. with the interviews. They had uh, like live sessions, and then they had the, like you play some music and talk about it. Yeah. And so I bought the SP the day that uh, Soundscape were presenting this uh, talk with Rasji um, in collaboration with the CDR. And I went to see that and Rasji was talking about the machine and I just me having it in my backpack and him talking about it, I realized that this was the perfect machine for me. Um, and I've been using it ever since. Yeah, I just about to say you never look back. No. <laughs> but how? But how long? But how hard was it learning to use that? It was because it was probably quite the the, the ship from using Logic. So uh, I wasn't really producing a lot of stuff on the SP. I've never actually really produced a lot of stuff. I've been using it to make sketches and um, sort of like get things going. Uh, but it was difficult in the beginning and very frustrating and I've uh, ruined a lot of shows with me pushing the wrong button and making <laughs> all the music stop in the middle of shows. Uh, Funny enough, I've seen that happen a lot yeah, because you, yeah, yeah. The, the buttons are small, they look the same and so the, there's not much light, much light often on the no, stage. No, no, no. <laughs> and the, the most important button uh, is the remain button and that button is surrounded with uh, five or six other buttons that you definitely do not push. <laughs> uh, because, but, but um, was it... Uh, was it strictly just that you knew that people were using that for the music that you liked, or was it yeah. that you really loved the sound that it had in itself, or so obviously it, the tactility it, of it, or was it a mixture? It was a mixture. Like the the fact that it was so small, the fact that it ran on batteries, uh, and you could just like plug in an RCA cable and you were good to go, was so nice. It's a small tank but also the fact that you could have like hours of music on it and uh, it had a lot of dope effects. And um, and the fact that I saw a lot of people that I was listening to and looking up to uh, using it, uh, that played a, a big part. And then realizing that a lot of the stuff I was listening to um, really had the sonic characteristics of being either made or having been run through that machine. Yeah, because so. that is actually one of the things I feel is quite significant with <laughs> the machines in, you know, hip-hop and instrumental. I mean, let, let's it's be honest. Often use them 
just for the sound. Yeah, a lot of people don't actually produce on them, they just run them through them to get the sound. So finally Roland realized that they made a machine that pretty much burst an entire like subgenre of beats like yeah, the lo-fi scene or yeah, yeah, yeah. movement or whatever you want to call it. So it definitely has a certain sonic aesthetic. Yeah, as you know, each era and each likes subgenre has its sound. And yeah, it's often based on the machine that yeah. has been used. You know, if it was an SP twelve hundred, exactly. That's an MPC. Yeah, the MPC. You know, the eight hundred eight. Yeah. You know, it. They have really yeah. different sound yeah. or sonic, you know, characteristics. Yeah. And you can actually get them by just running what you've done through it. Yeah. At some point, in some instances, like I know people that just put the drums through the MPC and yeah. then just Boom. back into the yeah, <laughs> back into Logic or yeah. run the sample through it or just yeah. put it like like uh, people would do with tape to get like the tape yeah. effect. They would just put it through the MPC afterwards. Yeah. And I've even seen uh, a lot of the German producers use like both. The 404 and the MPC yeah. live to just add that special sauce. Yeah, yeah, but also just to have one thing that's also easier to control live with the MPC uh, to to like do stuff through. Yeah, so it, it makes sense. It's it's it's, but it's still interesting that we because it it's went from you had the machines because computers weren't a thing. Mm -hmm. Then you had computers because that felt easier. Yeah. And then it reverted back to yeah. tactility. Yeah. Sort of the same that you did with vinyl to yeah. CD and digital back to vinyl. Yeah. And I couldn't really cope with, like, if you had to play music from your computer, you would have to have, like, a big chunky MIDI controller. And I was, I was still using Logic. Um, and I couldn't really... I couldn't really work it out. I had this Akai MPD32, but I couldn't really figure out how to set it up for a, a live session. And then the SP was just like heaven sent. Yeah, it makes sense. But the SP is also in all the different characters. Uh, that, that was just my cat. It's, it's he's uh, hopped out on the table, so you just have to excuse us for being a bit distracted by a cute cat. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it makes sense because you have all that the, those ways of using. You can do more, but you're also um, in some way you can do less. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's often like the limitations mm -hmm. that that makes people creative. Definitely, definitely. You, so creative creativity often comes from having that that limitation of. You have an SP404. You can do a lot with it, but you cannot do a lot with it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to do it a certain way. You have. You can only have that sort of fucked up sound. Yeah. You can only. It's more of like a glitch machine yeah. than it is actually like a, a, what what I would say a sequencer. Yeah. It, it it's definitely so. But people then found out how to do stuff with it that wasn't even intended to. I just revisited the red tape, the 404 sessions uh, a few days ago. And 
Let's just say that it was more me getting to know the machine than it was actually me really working on like a release. But I remember an old interview with you as well. You said that you oh, you made the whole tape as like you were studying the manual, reading the manual, yeah, and then trying to do what yeah. the manual said, yeah, and that would be the piece that yeah. ended up being the tape, exactly. Which is, was also sort of why it was named for four sessions. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do 404 days. It was just 40 days, but it was one one beat sketch a day, and that really made me learn how to use the machine. It wasn't necessarily a good release, but. Uh, Good enough for someone to at least want to put it on tape. Yeah, shout out to Alex from Outlier Recordings. Yeah, but but again, how did you hook up with uh, Alex and how did you hook up with Urban Waves? Um, that was just a, a SoundCloud. Ah, the happy SoundCloud. He found you or you found them? Or? Um, SoundCloud was really interactive. Uh, back in those days. Yeah, it was sort of the social media in itself. Yeah. At, uh, at that time also when, especially beatmakers. Yeah, everybody was commenting and everybody was liking and everybody was sort of like really interacting with each other's stuff. Um, and it was such a good community. And uh, um, yeah, I, I can't remember when or how, but sort of like just got to speaking with Alex. I think he was also releasing uh, or at least, yeah, he made some compilations with other Danish producers on it as well. Zach Christ being one of them. Um, and then Urban Waves was sort of slowly starting out releasing some SoundCloud prolific producers as well, um, and then they did a compilation, and they invited me to do one track. And after that, they asked me if I wanted to do an EP. Yeah, and that was uh, yeah the third EP, right? The third release. Yeah, it was Landfly. Yeah, uh, and that was also on tape, right? Yeah. But how did it feel like? Uh, you hadn't actually been doing the stuff on the SP404 for that long, and you were no. relatively new, but yeah. you're already being released by two like international labels, it and was... you were uh, starting to appear on different compilations. Yeah. And it was very surreal. Um, but I was, yeah, I think the this idea, this idea of um, making this like post-instrumental hip-hop or whatever you want to call these type beats um, with a lot of the, like, what do they call them, future beats. Um, a lot of synthy stuff, a lot of bass stuff, but uh, still like 80, 90 BPM. Um, I was really inspired by that and that's pretty much just all I did. <laughs> and SoundCloud played a big role. It was the first uh, website I opened when I got up and the last one I closed when I went to bed, before I went to bed. So just keeping up with the feed constantly. Yes, and then you, um, so, so Urban Waves you kept on working with. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it also, 
comes to something that is also interesting with your story is that it's it's not only just uh, Danish Copenhagen things. It's also that isn't it? At, at what point did you move to uh, Berlin to study? So I went to Berlin in 2014. Yeah, to study. Uh, yeah, I I mean despite uh, what Anton and Sean was doing in the sort of the small local scene in Copenhagen, uh, it it wasn't too big, and I realized that there was potential for this kind of music uh, internationally, and I saw a lot of people doing it and watching, for example, the 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 flyers for um, Low End Theory in Los Angeles really got me thinking like, shit, I mean, if they can have this crazy lineup on a Wednesday, uh, I can aspire to that. Um, But were you following like the German beat scene at the time? Because the it was around that time, I feel that uh, like the early tense that I feel Germany really took over yeah on the lo-fi or just instruments be seen yeah i wasn't really paying too much attention to the german scene um, i knew that from working with urban waves they were releasing uh, flow fills and blue step and also one two um, early on yeah three of the pioneers in that uh, exactly But so I, I obviously I, I knew of, of those guys when moving to Berlin. But it was only when I when I moved to Berlin I realized that the scene in Germany was big. Yeah, yeah, very completely big. different. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, uh, like, uh, you know, I, I was so, you know, some of the LA stuff I I love, but I, a lot of it also went into more of the clubbing stuff and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and you know just the stuff that's not that much me yeah and then you i felt like the german also a bit austrian you know sure around but yeah most of german yeah. scene just really took it back to like uh the slow really dusty the like boom bap type stuff yeah without without having the sort of boom bap uh sound still because yeah. it, it was it was like a lot of it was more jazzy or more uh, laid back or more I, I, pro- I would probably call it more muted music yeah um, and I feel that that at the whole thing that that is there now you know the Los Angeles scene and that's like created the foundation but yeah. what it is right now is like the German scene really t- taking it to that and some of the UK scene also taking over Yeah, I guess the German scene sort of always kept uh, or ho- held on to the hip hop aspect. It was very prominent in the instrumental scene, uh, especially at that point. Uh, yeah, I would maybe say it still is. However, the LA sound has transitioned into something else, which I really appreciate. Uh, i appreciate both of them but um yeah but you could say a lot of the german producers from that era is also more transitioning into house or into uh other types of uh beat making 
Yeah, definitely. Other genres than that. I mean, Germany being uh, an electronic music uh, capital and uh, uh, with the house and techno being so prominent, obviously a lot of hip hop producers were also listening to and making a lot of house and techno music. So you had uh, producers like Glenn Astro, Max Greff. They were making a lot of beats too, and uh, but uh, yeah, and people like Kalslay are going more exactly into that, to that now. And exactly, but uh, but him also having pretty fast beats uh, compared to yeah, yeah. But it was all the same sonic aesthetic. It was still the like sample based music. Uh, it was just a a more up tempo, faster tempo. But since you weren't that much uh, that knowledgeable in the whole German scene mm-hmm. before you moved there. How was it? was it like sort of a uh, culture shock coming there and witnessing how how both how big the scene was, but also how they were doing it compared to what you were uh, knew more or what you were accustomed to, and how they were having the whole like uh, the jams and the compilations and all that. It was more like just I, I felt finally. Uh, at home or finally there is a city that is big enough uh, for this subgenre to sort of thrive yeah because so you would you would go to a venue and listen to any beat maker and they would play like slow loungy jazzy lo-fi beats at three o'clock uh, and people might even dance to it. And people were went crazy in the yeah. club. Um, and in Copenhagen, you would have the the same 30 dedicated. 30, that would be lucky. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's me exaggerating. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. But I remember like uh, sometimes being like we were eight people at sure. eight, like three people playing beats. Sure, sure. So uh, being in Berlin, uh, I loved being there, and I loved the fact that you could go to like beat geeks on a Tuesday night and it would be fully packed and they would be playing hip hop and beats and shit until like three o'clock in the morning yeah. uh, yes and not only doing the live stuff but also releasing a lot of stuff sure well and sure the tapes and sure. doing the digital releases and yeah I live close to uh, HHV the shop um, when I first moved to Berlin so and uh, when I was leaving for school I would pass the shop every day so I would pretty much be in the shop every day and I would always check out the new releases Uh, so I got introduced to a lot of new stuff and a lot of German stuff through HHV and also finding out the labels Urban Waves were collabor- still is collaborating with Radio Juicy, and I was checking out like Sicht Exotica, the MPM, uh, Jakarta, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff, uh, yeah. um, and people being extremely active in like yeah. spreading. Yeah. Uh, it, it not just making it a lot of people actively promoting it yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. But. You went to study at the, what was it, like a music school as well? or Yeah, so I did my bachelor at this school called uh, DBS, which was uh, a British school that had branched out and opened up a school in Berlin. Now it's called Catalyst. 
but they had a fast track uh, bachelor degree that you could do in two years. And that was also when I met uh, I Kicked the Cloud once and uh, Fufu. Yeah, and you started they, the building too, yeah. They were living together uh, and we started hanging out on a daily basis, pretty much. Record digging, beat making. Um, and that's when we started, or oh, they had already started Berlin Zoo. I got inducted <laughs> as the third member. Yeah, yeah, uh, because you were living there. But you were basically, uh, you were a lot in their apartment, right? Just hanging out? Yeah, so I moved, they were already living together when I moved to Berlin, um, I think. And um, I would always just go to their apartment and just crash for numerous days. Yeah, and Fofo had already released a lot of beats in Denmark as well back then. Yeah. And the same thing with Ikako, uh, just uploading a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to SoundCloud. But I had already, prior to that, uh, at the boarding school, I made a small label called Greased Up Records. Yeah, with like, uh, you were like three people and four people, right? We were four people, yeah. It was me, Sylvester, Sylvestruk, and uh, Andreas, he went by the name Horse back then, and then Nils, he went by the name Coast, and then later on Peter Bramstrup, uh, he joined. Um, I actually love the logo. Yeah, me too. Me too. The gre- greeting of the vinyl. Yeah, the butter, st- the butter stick on the vinyl. Yeah, that was the best logo ever. Shout out Anna Scanning for that one. Um, I remember the t-shirt. Yeah, screen print. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we released uh, I Kicked the Cloud once. Yeah, and you also released Young Padawan. Yeah, that was your first singles. Oh, well, now the cat is uh, <laughs> mad. Uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, I remember that. But I also remember that you never released anything with you, right? Mm-hmm. No. We made some compilations with a bunch of different peeps. And I had uh, a few tracks on there. Um, but no, we wanted to release other people. Uh, and so we had released uh, I Kicked the Cloud once. So I knew of him. I had met him one or two times before. But how did you meet them in Berlin? Was it like random meetup or did you... No, we just... We're both here, we should... Yeah, we wrote each other and... Uh, and I came by their apartment um, in in Moabit one late night, and we just clicked. <laughs> also, it must have been nice having someone, you know, here in a foreign country, having someone. Definitely, that's Danish. There, it was just having like it was a lifesaver. We would go to everything. We'd go to concerts, DJ gigs, whatever. Go for food, record digging, and just go home and make beats all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like when you kept, came back that you talked about you did a lot of beats. Hey. We, yeah, yeah, that was two of my most productive years. Uh, but did you also do beats for uh, the school, or was it just after school? We, I had to make music for the school, so some projects eventually turned into... Uh, some beats turned into the Block and Tackle release, 2019 release. Um, 
but I was still learning a lot at that time. Um, some of the beats turned into the Shatter beat tape. Um, a lot of the stuff just got discarded because it was just me experimenting a lot and uh, having to collaborate. Yeah, as well, probably. Yeah. But you, um, uh, maybe we should listen uh, just before we go on to one of the beats from the William Soup. Yeah. At least just uh, like super bad disco album. Yeah, to, to just uh, give the people there like sort of a sense of where you were going at that time. Definitely. So those tracks from uh, the Berlin Zoo, uh, Zoo about Disco um, release uh, with like a cover inspired by very legendary uh, library music record, I would say. Yeah. Uh, to the people who do know library music, that's uh, an interesting one. Um, yeah. But uh, were you into library music at that point as well? Because uh, or who 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 decided that the cover was uh, to be like inspired by that? I guess we were all into whatever library music we could find. Uh, it was yeah, because that was before it was really starting to like. No, it it, 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 it was. It was already it was in Berlin, maybe. Or? Very very uh, I guess in to collect library records. You could you any record shop you went to in Berlin, you could pretty much find a designated library section but they were all like not the good library records obviously they had already been been picked so should probably be lucky to even find kbms there yeah yeah yeah. but but there was there was actually a lot of library records but you were really lucky you were very lucky if you found anything anything good yeah but uh, 
the, the cover that inspired the Berlin Zoo cover is actually, I don't think that Command is a library uh, record label um, per se, but they did release a lot of like weird music, a lot of really like stereo panned, like soundscape music, crazy, crazy weird music. But and, this and one isn't actually that weird. It, uh, no, it isn't. It's but actually, you, to me, a good record just in itself. Yeah. And they always had these incredible uh, covers, like with a lot of uh, geometric uh, shapes and uh, like weird... Uh, yeah, especially the typography for them. Yes, exactly. So I, I was really... I, I always buy command records when I find them, even just because of the cover. And, and actually, some of them you can actually find really cheap. Yeah. Even this one isn't one of the expensive ones. Nope. And I found like weird beat nut samples and JSON samples and all types of weird stuff on these records. Um, we were struggling a lot to to make a cover for that album uh, because the, th- the three of us had a lot of different ideas. And eventually uh, we wanted to sample uh, a cover. So uh, it also makes sense on an album that has so many samples on it. But it's um, yeah, we were all very pleased with it. Yeah, I think it turned out pretty well. People yeah. can 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 see the, it themselves. But I just remember seeing the thing. That's nice. Also, it had, in the last ten years, a lot of people have been doing the like throwback to some like sampling sort of a cover. Yeah. Yeah, but I like it. I like it when people do that, as long as it's not the two obvious ones. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's it's yeah something for uh, people to uh, dig for. If yeah, also it's like uh, for the people who know. Yeah, and to give them some sort of like aha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, if you if you the people who dig the record that the cover is inspired by are also the people that might like the record. So it, it makes sense that the people see that, they're like, True. I should check that out. Yeah. So it has the aesthetics that yeah. will, you know... Draw people in, yeah, certain people. Draw the consumer in. Yeah. So I think that, that makes really uh, good sense. It was just interesting that that you had that in as well. But also you have another uh, like relation to the library music that is also there because you were in the Who Sampled, the... Uh, uh, what was it? 2017. The it was Sampleton. What it was called? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, um, who sampled Sampleton? Yeah, yeah, with the KVM yeah. music. Yeah, and you uh, that you won. Yeah, and had some props from some of the very legendary uh diggers and uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, just sample nerds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember you posted something uh, recently. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, you sh- do you remember the quote yourself that you put up? Um, it was something like the, the quiz uh, really yeah uh, yeah. He did, said, why don't you just say what you didn't say or something? So um, the the backstory, um, who sampled put up this uh, post saying uh, submit two or three pieces of music. And then if you get picked, you get to be one of the 20 participants for Who Sampled Sampleton 2017 in London. Uh, and so I submitted and I got picked. And then I went to London and then 
I uh, showed up at the studio, the Point Blank Studios, where it was held, and everybody got uh, a USB with eight gigabytes of KPM material. And then you had six hours to make an entirely like a new beat from whatever you wanted to sample. And uh, obviously there was a lot of uh, well-known samples. Uh, yeah, of course, the KBM has so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they even had a folder with, I think the folder was named uh, Previously Sampled. Uh, and I just thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm definitely not going to use that. I'm definitely going to try and use as many different samples as possible, just if it's just for minor details, uh, like percussion or bass or whatever. Uh, and at that time, I was really into like this maximum maximalist, like just cramming as many elements into the music as possible. Um, and so I think I ended up sampling maybe like 20 different tracks. Um, and that's why when we had to present our tracks to the judges, we had to also say which tracks we had sampled. Yeah, just close. Exactly. And I started just mentioning all the tracks that I had sampled. And, and at one point, Chris Reed, uh, who runs uh, Who Sampled, he said, why don't you just tell us all the tracks you didn't sample? <laughs> yeah, they probably didn't expect someone to know 20 of them. No, they didn't. They definitely didn't. But then you uh, then you uh, won. But first of all, how was it having to do a beat in six hours under those conditions? Were you doing it under uh, SP404? Were you no. on computer? Or I was, at that time, I was working in Ableton. And so I just brought my laptop. But I was used to battling. Uh, I was battling a lot on the Stone Throw message board uh, forum back in the days. <clears throat> they did... Beat bat they still do to this day uh, beat battles every Wednesday and uh, back I think it was yeah it was still at Engelsholm in 2011 I was battling a lot <coughs> and I was always late uh, you, you, you sent them in too late no I was, uh, well, was I, I would I would make the beats uh, like the day before something like that oh like that yeah yeah so it's yeah. it really quickly so w working under pressure was wasn't too uh, foreign for me and also the year before I had won this speed battle that um, CDR and Dimensions Festival did yeah where you did it like uh, the day before as well right yeah <laughs> <laughs> I remember that so I was I was pretty used to working under like a certain time uh, pressure or limit or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, th and then you did the whole uh, the beat. You presented it. You yeah. got chosen uh, by some of the legendary people that were there. Yeah, but it didn't end up being what it was supposed to because sadly uh, they didn't really follow through. Uh, it took a long time for them to start the process. And um, eventually they released it without announcing it to uh, the participants and other people. So I found out by chance that they had already released it and 
that there But was... I was like three years after, right? Yeah, huh? exactly. Uh, and I had... Uh, there, there, there was going to be no vital record. Yeah, because the whole thing idea was that um, you won like a vinyl release on KPM, right? Yeah, so... Uh, or like the, the ones... The first, the... second and third place won... The opportunity to to come to to be on a 10 inch release with, I think, some of the judges as well, on KPM, and obviously that was the sole reason for me to participate and <clears throat> put in that extra work to be able to have something released on vinyl on that dark green uh, vinyl like the dark green cover. Yeah, yeah, the legendary cover that all the releases have. Exactly, but it didn't. It didn't happen, unfortunately. So that was. But you did get together. You got a lacquer of it, right? Yeah, I had a, a dub plate cut uh, in Berlin at Manmade Mastering. Yeah. So, so that was also quite an experience being in that studio, right? And yeah, definitely that done. Definitely, that was crazy. Seeing how Tim Xavier works and. Uh, Having my having him cut the, the the plate was great. Yeah, because that's something you all also work with. Uh, because in between the, all of this, you were still DJing a bit, right? Quite yeah. a bit sometimes. Um, yeah. You were also uh, on tour with uh, Dance Order School, for example. Yeah, like two or three years, right? Uh, I was touring with them for their Lexion uh, Trade. Yeah, tour and also for their uh, Indians and Cowboys release. Yeah, yeah. This was in thirteen and fifteen. Yeah, but weren't you also with them in seventeen for like the spring thing? Or were you okay? I remember wrong. Yeah, but um, but it's uh, how was that, that dude? Because that's also like they they had that whole development from. Being like the DJs that do mixtapes to do it soundscapes in sets, yeah, and more field recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've also done like used field recordings in your uh, record sometimes, haven't you? Or was that? Yeah, I, I loved introducing field recordings and like turning <clears throat> like field recordings and weird noises way up in the mix. And use it as percussive elements or whatever, because um, strong melodies was never really my uh, force, unfortunately. <laughs> Even though you did play the viola for such Even a long time, <laughs> I didn't play the viola. I was never introducing the viola in my beats. Yeah, I, I used to used to do just uh, what up Steiner beat take, but only the stuff you were playing in what up Steiner. That could be an interesting uh, challenge, I'm guessing. I have, though, uh, recently I, I brought the old viola to my studio and bought a mic for it. So I've been using it. Oh, nice. Yeah. How, how does that feel after all that time? That was just uh, a great, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, Re- resurrection or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was good. It was mm-hmm. nice, very familiar. That sounds uh, <laughs> interesting. Because then you... Um, if we move further, uh, a bit further into uh, time, um, you come back. You were in Berlin. You did the whole Berlin zoo. You discovered a whole culture there that yeah. wasn't here. Yeah. 
and then you move back to them. Or at least it was way bigger and more prominent. Yeah, 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 yeah. like that, yeah. Um, but also got to know personally, it seems, a lot of the producers and got to work with the, some of them yeah. and also with some, like, you also, I don't know, uh, were you involved with the track with DJ Rogers as well? Uh, so me and Rasmus, I kicked the cloud once, we met up with Blue Step yeah. uh, one day and we hung out, ate some pizza and <clears throat> we made a sketch. And then Leon, he finalized it later on. Little way are we going, uh, what's it called, yeah. Yeah, the one with the Juju on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he released it on Urban Waves uh, for the uh, Blue Fridays release. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we... I came back to Copenhagen and then we released Superbad Disco with HHV. Yeah, and sort of also started the sub-label on HSV in that it, regard. It came about, so the story was that we met this guy at a Beat Geeks event in Berlin. Uh, he was working at the office at HHV and he played our demo uh, for the the owner of HHV and um, we got a mail two days afterwards asking if we wanted to release with them and obviously we did and um, I think two months went by uh, we had 300 copies made and eventually after two months uh, they told us that uh, they were sold out and they wanted to do another repress and um, then they also told us that if we wanted to release something else we could do that and we wanted to shine a light on all the dope beat, beat makers and musicians we knew in Denmark that didn't have this connection to either either Berlin but also HHV being Europe's biggest um, distribution slash record label. Yeah, also not having a platform in, in that regard itself, some of them. Um, exactly. Because uh, after that it's been like... Um, you know, smaller and bigger names in that regard compared to like um, how also newer and older names because it's been like Yellow Spoon and now Clabber, which were like pretty new names compared to like Sofati and sure. stuff like that that's been there on there. Sure. So it's uh, how did you? Uh, is it all three of you choosing, or is it more like how how is it run? Because um, it's, it, it, you have the super bad disco, but it's also what you call yourself when you do the DJing stuff, and it, it's like a whole crew. So when we moved uh, back to Copenhagen, all of us, me, Rasmus, and Fufu, Jesper, uh, we it quickly became uh, a lot of like-minded people uh, DJing, making beats, and we ended up making the Superbad Disco DJ crew as well. Um, Which is uh, even more people, right? It, I yeah, don't know who's I, officially in it. Is it like... Uh, I think we're about 12 more or less affiliated people. Some people... Um, also, all of them haven't been in the country all the time. Like, Lord Acton has been, you know... Sure, he lived in Amsterdam. And came back. And yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, 
label-wise, uh, we would just um, either listen to people whose music we were digging and then asking them, or uh, they would come along. Sean, once again, has played a big uh, role in I'm guessing our releases. Sean, Sean presented us to uh, Athletic Progression. Uh, as well. might have been the best live things live band ever. <laughs> Could very well be. As well as Yellow Spoon and Clever. So uh, yeah. thank you once again, Sean. Um, and all three very uh, dope. Jazz uh, Athletic Progression is actually the most interesting one because they had just been in such a development because yeah. I knew them first as like uh, the Neo Soul thing and yeah. some of them playing for I, as far as I remember some of them played for Anka yeah. back then yeah. and you know Jonas also doing some stuff with Han Solo yeah. already back then and sure. and then them being more of a Neo Soul mm-hmm. thing and then moving more into the jazz stuff yeah. and then moving more into the sort of live electronic merger and and yeah doing that so it, it's like each record is very different but also when the first record came out of it, it was they had already found a new sound themselves sure definitely definitely um we have been very blessed <clears throat> to be working with not just athletic progression all all of the artists that we we release yeah, and as far as I understand, there's still plans for there's more other. To come. There's definitely more to come. Uh, actually, I think it was today the new Clever. Uh, yeah, we just announced the new forthcoming album from Aarhus. Uh, crazy, crazy group. Yeah, we we have the good jazz bands, it seems. There must be something in the water. Yeah, yeah. I think there's such a good jazz scene, but also Aarhus is really a sure a jazz city. It is. I, I remember working and when I worked at Stardust, it was also a lot of them was just coming there playing all the time. It was just crazy, also because a lot of it was just the free jazz and you know just improvising. Mm. So, so I I think there's just been like a whole environment for that just in Aarhus and then also in Silkeborg and in some of the other cities yeah um, yeah where where it, they were allowed to play a lot of places yeah. and a lot of them even also went to the conservatory in Aarhus yeah and you know as, as you have over here you have the concerts that people play when they are graduating but also at the end of each uh, semester yeah but in Aarhus in Copenhagen they played at the school are, are located different places because in Aarhus it's in the center of the city mm-hmm. and the concerts are at, like the music uh, hall yeah. in Aarhus so act, some of them actually have be, get can get sort of well known for just the concerts that they do at the yeah, yeah. end of the semester yeah. at least locally yeah. and also some interesting projects have been there like uh, Sincere that and Solo did yeah. a regular with yeah. it. Adet Progression did the whole... Which I was uh, annoyed wasn't released as, as a record, actually, because I saw the whole thing live. It was crazy dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did the live concert, Adet uh, Progression, with uh, an American rapper called Sincere, mm-hmm. which was crazy. So I was hoping for that <laughs> release, but unfortunately, yeah. that, that never uh, didn't happen. No, no, and, and unfortunately, now they will probably never be more mm. 
everyone. But it's interesting, but the whole the whole thing. But also that it seems that you have really focused on the the beat making and the jazz. So we wanted to release uh, beats because we, as beat makers, wanted to obviously <laughs> present whatever we were listening to as well, but also. Uh, we were slowly getting into jazz from England, London, um, Australia, uh, and Germany as well, and also all the beat makers from US that sort of slowly turned into musicians as well. Let's say Mind Design, Kiefer, DJ Harrison. And also some of them merging and becoming producers, even like Robert Glassbrand. Yeah, he's doing with True. other people like that. True, but but working with these younger jazz musicians, it was sort of like full circle, right? So me, Jesper, and Rasmus were listening to a lot of beat makers that sampled and were inspired by like 60s, 70s jazz musicians, and then we released a lot of jazz musicians that were inspired by these beat makers. Yeah, because that's actually what I... So it's full circle now. Yeah, yeah because that was my point I was trying to get to, yeah. is that I, I feel, first of all, I, being a big jazz nerd, I feel that we have one of the best eras in jazz ever, uh, like uh, maybe in my point of view, the best since the 70s. Yeah. Uh, because we have the, both the diversity in it, mm -hmm. but also that it has become something completely new and different now, but still a lot of it is referring to the roots. But what, it, how it's doing it is that it's doing it through things that sampled. What so this old jazz in a lot of ways? It, there's so many new reference points in terms of genres that weren't there in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah, and the whole UK London jazz scene is to me one of the like biggest developments in jazz ever. Yeah, and that spawned out of jazz and club music. Yeah, like but uh, British club music. Yeah, but also a lot of them that like Alpha Mists has also said that one of his biggest inspirations ever is Truck Hall Quest. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of the other, uh, even if you are in the Silver's Project stuff and how they're merging the soul and jazz and that even the rappers and you know, you see Lyle Connor and that they're sampling Piero Ulumiani. Yeah. And, you know, all of those legendary, like... Yeah. Yeah, that's also, like, one of the most expensive records ever. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at least it was repressed in 16. Yeah. But that's also very good, good luck once again. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, 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 I didn't get to buy it then, and I'm still mad about it because it's still one of my favorite jazz albums, but it's, it's more that, that that whole thing is coming and you see that whole merger um, of, of, you know, beat making, hip hop and jazz. Uh, and also that a lot of them are now doing jazz music, but also sometimes the rappers are doing jazz music sometimes, merging with beat makers and doing the mixtures of it. Um, you know, you see Yusuf Deus, you see the... Yeah, I can never... The Yori... I never know how to pronounce the name. The Yori... Uh, yeah, it's with a Y. It's, um, I'm bad at names. There's two great jazz records this year for me. Uh, sure. That's the other one. Um, you know what it is when I show you. 
Uh, it's it's more that uh, they are clearly inspired by hip hop as well. Yeah. Um, and clearly inspired by the beat scene. Yeah. And a lot of them are. Even when you have someone like uh, Domi and Daddy Beck, it, 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 they have rappers on the records. They're inspired by. They're actually also inspired by people that are inspired by hip-hop. Sure. And in that they're also inspired by Thundercat. They're also inspired by, you know... Definitely. And they... So their standards is like... They reference and play Mad Villain. And you have orchestras dedicated to playing MF Doom and Jay Dilla stuff. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you've had that for, for a while. I, I, I think... That's also one thing that I find amazing is the whole thing of you people playing like people playing funk versions of music mm-hmm. that sample funk. Yeah. So you doing you bring it back to the roots, but you're playing it the way it was sampled. Yeah. Uh, like with Sly Fifth App doing that, or after like all the thing with yeah. Doom, or even with sessions and you know El Michel or yeah even Bad Bad Not Good doing the like they also did a lot of covers back then yeah you even have like Youngblood Brassman doing yeah. the it earlier um, I love that stuff but it's also it, it shows where that the, the musicians are now inspired by the people who weren't actually considered musicians at one point but, but also you would just drummers or Pianists would have never played the syncopated way they do no. before. Like someone like Premier or whoever sampled it and chopped it up like that. Mm. So it's really interesting to see like both a jazz musician or funk musician or whatever. Like drums are like one of the things I'm most critical about because yeah, I need to. There needs to be the syncopation and there needs to be sure. the groove and it needs to be like sure. all that. But you see a lot of the younger drummers playing a way that is closer to what you would actually do on an MPC. Yeah. Um, and you see people playing offbeats in yeah. ways that you wouldn't, you would have never done or considered before yeah. Yeah. hip-hop and yeah. beat making. And Dilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dilla, Dilla as well, but uh, even like drummers in bands like Love the way he was yearning or the way they did the Dilla was of course a part of that but the whole Soul Quarian thing and yeah. the way that you did Soul and Neo Soul and yeah. even the way that drums were made for Trip Hop yeah. it, it, it's just it's it's an interesting development mm-hmm. that I feel is like as you're saying it's gone full circle yeah it definitely has and that's where it actually has the best point of evolving because then it can go everywhere but also it can stay true to its roots yeah but uh, it also runs the risk of becoming static and stale of course of course but that's what I feel it actually isn't now because it has gotten to a point where it's able to do this of course at, in, if it does the same in 10 years it will do that yeah but then you will get new. Then you will get beat makers sampling those guys, and you will you would always, oh, always just get, imagine okay. in ten years it's gonna be the jiggy era. Everybody's gonna be it's trying to uh, emulate once again. I think some are even actually trying to do that. Yeah, now, but uh, I think that it, 
it has just gotten um, in 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 our genres that we like most. It's just there's more of a separation from the mainstream than there was back then because mm. back then, like 20, 30 years ago, it was an evolving genre, and now it's fully evolved. And in in that sense, that it it doesn't need the you know uh, it doesn't need the recognition of people it doesn't need to be taken seriously by people outside of it at all necessarily not necessarily no so you don't have people always chasing that no well there was a hunger for recognition because growing up it was like in our generation it wasn't it was a bad thing being a hip hopper even or a skater yeah you were dangerous you are you were dangerous it was just there there were all these um views on what it could be and it wasn't music and they weren't it wasn't real music no it was never considered and, and now you have you know had for years ninth wonders been you know just teaching in universities yeah all that stuff yeah yeah so i think even now you with, with people like you or Tim Soldier or whatever in Denmark being at the conservatories because that's the thing you were at the conservatory and you also developed that uh, for your um, graduation you also did a concert that had a lot of jazz yeah. inspirations yeah so yeah. can you maybe uh, talk a bit about that because um, I don't know if, is anything coming from that uh, in a future release is the so um <clears throat> my my time at the conservatory uh i wanted to uh investigate um my role as a producer slash beat maker slash button pusher uh within um a jazz group uh what would my role be and uh, also me not playing an instrument but triggering stuff yeah how do you fit in yeah put in effects on whatever what what would be my role me producing all the music but uh having a drummer a bass player a synth player uh a flautist um what's my role and uh, so obviously I had to make a lot of music and I had to find musicians that wanted to work with me and also play with me. Um, and I worked with a lot of different people uh, throughout the two years and made almost an hour and a half uh, worth of new music that is uh, just sitting on my uh, external hard drive as of now but um, I have uh, a new album that I'm working on uh, which is uh, slated to be um, spring next year on a German label called Ubo Records yeah but you have one coming out before that right on uh, Urban Waves or uh, is that 
I released, uh, or was it just a single? I released a footwork project on Uvo Records uh, late last year with uh, a friend of mine, Animec. Um, so I've already been working with these guys. Uh, so I'm, I'm keen to, to work with them again. And it's gonna be like a fully, uh, I guess, as jazz as as you get, as I get. Um, so I work with uh, a lot of different musicians, and uh, what I would do was I would go to their studio and bring a like a tiny sketch, like a melodic loop or whatever, and I would uh, record them uh, just riffing and jamming for half an hour or whatever. I would go home, I would go to my own studio, and I would cut and paste different stuff, create a, a structure, and then I would ask uh, more musicians to play a solo or add other stuff, and then slowly uh, creating like fully, uh, fully produced um, jazz music, I guess. And that's close to what was at the concert, or uh... so we play. Uh, we played a lot of that at the concert. Me, Rasmus, and Christopher from Yellow Spoon, uh, my fellow student uh, Flavia uh, on flute, and uh, bass player Albert from Below. Yeah. Um, and that was such a blessing to be able to play with these people, and then just. Uh, jump uh, in a pool of jazz music where I couldn't really uh, reach the bottom but um, just trying out stuff and uh, this is just the beginning uh, I've never made so much music within such a short time frame, a short time frame with so many people so this is really interesting to me and um, you know so maybe in a new way that you haven't really Thought of about making it definitely. I've always just made made music with myself and had vocal features, except for when we were making, let's say, Bird and Sue stuff. Uh, so having people play instruments always gives me uh, the opportunity to 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 work with uh, their contributions, sort of like as a sample bank. But also to shape it more yeah. in, in the way you want it. Yeah. So yeah. to create it, to maybe more, be more creative in the foundation of what will become the finalized product. Definitely. But uh, the fact that the conservatory gave me this uh, platform and framework uh, and the opportunity to just dive in and work on. Uh, having to work on a lot of new music. So the footwork project was the first music I did at the conservatory. And then... Uh, to those who don't know, can you explain what foot music exactly is? Footwork slash... I don't even know what it is exactly. ...is uh, a music genre stemming from Chicago, which uh, sort of have, has a certain set of... Aesthetic rules, tempo-wise as well. So everything is pretty much in 160 BPM. Uh, you would hear a lot of uh, chopped-up vocal, chopped-up repeated vocal snippets, 
and a very sort of like syncopated kick drum pattern. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a music, a start of music, and a, a, a dance, and those two things are really intertwined. Uh, it's almost like, and it's a kind of like a, a battle type music as well. So you would, people would battle each other. Uh, it's like a versus versus thing. Uh, sort of like beat battles. Yeah, yeah. But and dance break battles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they would play it at dance battle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and I. Honestly, I was very late to the party, but uh, I I really liked the sort of minimal uh, aesthetic, very electronic and very uh, quantized uh, in a way where I came from very sloppy, wonky, loose uh, drum uh, programming. So it was a complete new aesthetic to me, and um, so sort of a challenge. Yeah, I like a challenge, <laughs> and um, I also felt that it was uh, wrong for me to just make music during the semester and not follow through and release it, especially now that I was working with Joachim Animek as well. Yeah, uh, and Ubo they showed interest immediately. And uh, then all the stuff that I did, sort of like besides all the the homework, the assignments that I did, I uh, that was the stuff I released on Urban Waves for the uh, Alive on Arrival release. Yeah. And uh, then the Show Lightfoot album came along shortly afterwards. Yeah, because that's another thing you you talked earlier about. You know, doing the music and having the whole thing without the rappers, without any vocals, and having do, doing all the soundscape thing and all the stuff you could do when you didn't have vocals on it. Um, and now later on, you've done like uh, or finally released the full projects with like Felix Luca and Sean. Even though I know that some of them have been worked on for a while, but. Mm-hmm. How was the trend? Was it sort of a hard transition, having to do beats for rappers more, or you know, having to make room for the vocal in the, you know, sonically, um, also rhythmically? Sure. Uh, no, not really. The collaboration with Sean was as natural as it could be, and uh, it pretty much came about during corona times we both sat at home and I and Sean was Sean had some some beats laying around that I did uh, earlier uh, and he just started recording with uh, Laxen yeah. and then he was like send me some more beats send me some more beats and I started sending him just whatever I thought was fitting uh, but you had also talked about doing a, a release together for quite a long time before that right you remember when he did uh, Sean Got Beats yeah, exactly. and Sean Got Steamed yeah and you were talking about doing I, Sean Got Shatter right exactly uh, so we've been talking about this for 10 years uh, and finally finally it happened finally it happened 
Yeah. yeah. Now in Danish instead of English. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I also think it's uh, very well, well worth. Well, that really well to work it. Yeah. Um, and you also did with Phyllis Siluka yeah. and um, also like other stuff like also back when you were at Simlet, you did with some people yeah. down there and stuff like that. Yeah. But so it was still a natural transition. It was natural working with uh, both. I mean, it's been natural working with everybody, but uh, the the piece that I made for Sean was I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to create for Sean and uh, also, then, also, yeah. also you knew what he had made the album before exactly had like a- the Arosai album he did I had an idea of like the Mesbang beats um, the beats he did so and I also knew like I had this very like steadfast idea of what I wanted to to have Sean rap on, and then again Sean had an idea as well. So sometimes I was astounded that he didn't pick the beats that I sent him, and then uh, eventually we ended up with the absolute best product that uh, we were both very satisfied with. Yeah, and that's only available uh, as vinyl mm. and tape. Mm. So. We- yeah, you will have to, uh, you know, go dig if you want to hear the record. Yeah, or you would have to go to records and buy it. Yeah, I don't know if the tape is still uh, available, but I know the vinyl still is. I think he has a few tapes left. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also just, uh, I think we came uh, through a lot of uh, your whole uh, career also, what you were doing um, and how 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 big a huge part music has been of, you, of your life and how it has shaped you in a lot of ways um, from here on out you, you, you said you had the, you had the jazz record uh, that was coming out do you have other releases planned uh, that you can uh, that you can disclose nope I t- uh, I'm strictly working on uh, finalizing all the stuff that I did at the conservatory so there's enough material for at least two more albums. Uh, so that's what I'm gonna be working on for the next. Do like Anra, do like a threesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. I might go ahead and do a um, trilogy. Um, yeah. But uh, next up is uh, whatever uh, kind of jazz you wanna call it. I'd. What comes out of it? You don't even know yet, it seems. No, uh, well, obviously I know what it sounds like, but I don't know whether you can call it jazz or whatever you want to call it, but... Uh, Death-inspired beats. Yeah. Maybe, or... Yeah, I guess. Or just jazz that same... Beats that same with jazz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, 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 I think that's a good way to, to, to end. Um, I don't know, do you have anything else that you would like to like let people know about you or... Oh. I just want to say thank you for having me, Jesper. Yeah, of course. It's just always interesting having you because we discuss music a lot. So I, I knew that we could have some good talks about all of this. And we, we, we you know, we we also differ in a lot of views. So it's it's, it's always that's only that's it's always interesting. But it was it was nice hearing your story, and I hope that uh, all your listeners out there had uh, the same feeling. So thank you for coming. Thank you.
Uh, and I think we'll just play one last track from Sienna Hands. So yes, it comes here. Sound the skip, represent what up? Do it. 